0: Hello
1: everyone. Welcome to the Optive Podcast. This is a podcast where John Seketowski, Nick Gibson, and me, Andy Schmidt, discuss some of the hard theological and cultural topics in the Bible, bringing three different perspectives from three different generations. I hope you enjoy. John isn't here today. John is on the honeymoon, and I don't know if he's still on the honeymoon, but he's not here. So we got two extra people, not extra, just two different people. Jill and Nicole. Jill Risa, right? No.
2: <laughs> no. <laughs>
1: is that, what is it?
2: I think we did this last time too. Recy. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Recy, Jill Recy and Nicole Kyle. That's
2: right. Good job. You got that one. I
1: got that one 12 Nailed times it. of charm. Time.
2: It's right.
1: <laughs> um so basically today we're going to be talking about gender roles again and we did do a podcast in the past that was just called what are gender roles? And after, we, after I uploaded it, I listened to it and I was like, this is sloppy. It felt very sloppy because gender roles is so big. It's such a big topic. And so we decided, we went back to the drawing board and we decided to kind of break it up into two sections like, what are gender roles in the church and what are gender roles in marriage? And so this podcast today is going to be specifically on what are gender roles in the church with like a brief overview of different ways to look at gender roles. And so we're going to talk about that specifically that in this podcast. So we can just get, we can get started. We got, got two guys and two girls, even it out, you know, it's so it's it's fair. Uh, But uh, (laughs) so, all right, we'll just get started right away then. Um, I think when we, when we talk about, so when we talk about gender roles, people usually talk about equality like Mm -hmm. oftentimes when i'm when i'm hearing about like you know women and there needs to be equality for for women and men in the workplace or equality like and it's it's always about equality and so my first question uh that we have written down here is what is equality and what are roles and are they different are your gender roles like are gender roles supposed to be completely equal or what is the purpose of them does equality play a role in that? So I'll kind of open that up to whoever wants to answer that first.
0: Apparently
2: no one. Apparently (laughs) no. Next
1: question. Yeah.
2: I think you're right, Andy, that those are conflated. So when you're talking about one, people are talking about both of them at the same time, often in conversations right now. And so it is important to specify what we mean by each of them. Um, So, no, they're not the same thing um, in that you can be equal in worth and have different roles at the same time. Those can exist at the same time and do exist at the same time.
1: So, what viewpoint would that be then? So, okay. So, now, okay. So, that's what you think. I mean, I think that's what most of us here think. Mm -hmm. And um, so, then I guess going into the second question would be, Then what is complementarianism? What is egalitarianism? And then we kind of, when we were talking about it, Joe, we broke Mm -hmm. it up into kind of four sections. Mm -hmm. uh, Complementarianism, egalitarianism. We called one of them like modern feminism. And then one of them was like a traditional viewpoint.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And so two of the most popular ways to look at gender roles in the church is complementarianism and egalitarianism. And I say modern feminism is just a popular way that our society looks at gender roles and traditional i mean you guys can explain that but can we can you give us like a brief breakdown mm-hmm. of each all four of those so then people mm-hmm. know what we're talking about when we say those words
2: yeah and so traditional i'm going to start with traditionalism so um and you nicole and nick i'm going to just give a brief overview based on this model mm-hmm. that we talked about earlier and then you guys can add in if you want um so um Nicole and I went to this uh, meeting in a church in Hope, or um, sorry, in Minneapolis called Hope Community Church, and the pastor there, his name is Steve Treichler, he had a really good model that was helpful. So briefly, um, patriarchy, which can sometimes be um, similar to traditionalism, but I don't think they're the same thing, but he talked about patriarchy as men over women, so there's not equality there, there's different roles, and there's not equality Uh, complementarianism would be men and women are equal but there's different specific roles and so men and women fit together like puzzle pieces they work together and their worth is equal egalitarianism would be men and women are equal and there's not specific roles for each of them and so it's like they're two squares next to each other and then feminism modern feminism specifically would be women over men so women are more important than men or are better than men in specific ways so those are some focuses of each of those
1: okay this might be a better question for nick but where where does egalitarianism and complementarianism come in like where do these viewpoints where do they originate where do they start when we look at scripture i don't I, i really only see something that like i see complementarianism and i'm like that makes sense in scripture how can you make sense out of egalitarianism in scripture, or even like uh, what do you call it? Pa- patri- Patriarchy.
2: I think Patriarchy. it's different than traditional, like traditionalism. I would say.
1: Right. Where yeah. do mm-hmm. you, where do you find those in scripture? Where can you justify these viewpoints?
2: Um,
3: so the the words themselves, I don't remember. I can't think of anywhere I've come in contact with the phrase, with the word complementarianism. In relationship to um, gender roles outside of the church, mm-hmm. or at least in its origin, not before I heard it in the church, egalitarianism is a word that has been used in political and social discussions for a long time. So, um, egalite was one of the three main chants of the French Revolution, for example, um, and it was that it was against the crown and lordships and you know all the class level levels that there was in Europe. So, egalite meant getting rid of all those all that hierarchy. So egalitarianism is in a sense, the rejection of all hierarchy. And so if egalitarianism in relationship to gender roles would be the rejection of hierarchy within gender roles or relative to gender roles. Does that make sense? Now the Bible has a strong egalitarian strain in it and a strong hierarchical strain in it all the way through from beginning to end. So for example, in Genesis one, God is over everything. He creates everything. He's lord of everything. He's king of everything. Right. He makes human beings and tell, tells them to take dominion over the earth. So by the end of Genesis one, there is a hierarchy in creation. There is God. There is the human beings made in His image. There is all of His good creation that He's created, and He's created a hierarchy in that. Right. He's also created male and female both in His image. So the, the right in the creation of human beings, there is there is egalite the, that egalitarianism. There's no. In Genesis 1, there is no hierarchy with men and women, right? And yet, there is a hierarchy in Genesis 1, God, humans, creation, right? And then as you move through the Bible, you get more of this. You get God deeply committed to a hierarchical relationship in all of creation, and God committed to a certain kind of egalitarianism or absolute equality among things of similarity or of equal meaning throughout all of creation. So, for example, it says in, in Galatians three uh, the, in, that there is neither male nor female, Jew nor Gentile, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but all are one in Christ. Now, that doesn't that doesn't actually get rid of the biblical whatever biblical hierarchies are affirmed. But what it states is is that the most that beneath all of whatever hierarchies are correct, there is a fundamental and absolute egalitarianism among human beings in Christ. So even if you believe, for example, in uh, a Christian pa- patriarchalism, the ru- patriarchalism comes from patros arche, man rule. It literally means the rule of men. Okay, And it usually means that things are not done at the word of the male, but also for the male. Right? They, ha- they have a privileged place. If you believe the Bible teaches that, you have to figure out how the Bible teaches that in conjunction with an absolute egalitarianism in human w- worth and dignity. So usually when people say patriarchy is wrong, oftentimes they don't actually argue that there is no hierarchical view in the Bible. They just argue that it's like it completely it's clearly not doing what the Bible says should be done egalitarianly. Right. So in one sense, there is no like which is right. The Bible is an egalitarian document relative to human beings. That is, there is a, an equality. Right. And there is no hierarchy in certain things. And those things are the most basic, fundamental, and spiritual, and moral things. Then structurally, how human beings relate towards each other to maximize human flourishing, and therefore obey, worship God, and love each other, hierarchies then enter in in certain ways throughout all of the revelation of God. And the question is, how? The egalitarian would say hierarchies should be entirely based on merit if they exist at all. They exist sheerly on the basis of merit, so the best man or woman for the job should get it. So, if you're going to have a what um, Edmund Burke called um, like noble classes, okay? um an aristocracy, right? Most of the founding fathers of America and writers in the 16th, 17th, and 18th century Enlightenment that wrote about politics said that every society has an aristocracy, that is, people who are the betters of other people. Because nature has not made people equal in capacity. The question is, how do you get that that aristocracy? Is it a meritorious aristocracy, the best people hold those positions of leadership and privilege, or is it hereditary or some other more arbitrary means? But none of them believe that you could have egalité, like a fully 100% egalitarian society. Because even in the French Re- Revolution, somebody is deciding whose heads are getting chopped off with the guillotine. Like you put you put three people in a room, and literally in five minutes, you have a hierarchy. you get you take three feminists or three people who don't even believe there's a gen, such a thing as gender who believe that all hierarchy is evil, you put them in a room and somebody's personality takes over. That's a charismatic hierarchy. Humans always create an aristocracy and through that aristocracy create a hierarchy because it orders and functions them, and it creates a much better like if you okay, let me say two more sentences and I'll stop. if you bring. 50 people in a room, and you force them to engage in an egalitarian way. Nobody leads. Nobody has authority. Nobody has control. No, right? It is, it is it is chaos. You get anarchy, and it is the most ineffective way to order resources you can possibly imagine. Everything is wasted. And so therefore you can argue it's one of the... Fully egalitarianism with no other principle operative is one of the greatest injustices that can be perpetrated among human beings. Yet... Tyranny is also one of the greatest injustices that can be perpetrated upon human beings. So taking hierarchy in the wrong way and instantiating it in the wrong way is an enormous injustice, and misunderstanding egalitarian principles can be also an incredible injustice. Does that make sense? So, so it's like it, it, gets, it gets back to this issue of, yes, America, or yes, church, we are going to have to hold more than one idea in our head at the same time. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Okay,
1: but when I well, when I hear you say that, I think I think a lot of people and I and I think is like okay, so hierarchy today when you talk about hierarchy, hierarchy <laughs> erases yeah. equality. And Jill talked about how like complementarianism is two puzzle puzzle pieces fitting together, creating a picture or whatever you know, like it it, it creates something. So with hierarchy, one of those puzzle pieces then must be more important, right? But or or have a, yeah, what, what do you? Well,
0: I think there's a difference between a hierarchy of worth, or like when we're talking about men and women specifically, mm-hmm. I think there's a difference between is one more important? Does one have more value? Or does one take on different role capacities, which may include leadership capacities, but I don't think that that denotes what the worth of that individual is.
1: So I then think- what is equality? can we define equality? Because that's that's probably where I'm getting hung up.
0: Well, because I think that's kind of the point. Like, is it equality of worth or is it equality of, of roles?
2: Is it that like, is equality, can you do the same thing or is it that you're just as important when you're doing different things? Yeah, there's, well, there's this
3: section of one of Kurt Vonnegut's novels where he imagines a future dystopia in which everybody is made to be equal. And so like people who have like, iqs that are 20 points higher than other people have to have like this instrument put in their ear that creates this like weird buzzing sound that distracts them so they like it like takes away from their intelligence and like shorter people have like stilted shoes and like you know tall like and like literally everybody's like forced by this status system to be like literally be equal and it's this horrible dystopia right because like, equal, so, like, originally equality was supposed to mean, equal in, in Western society at least, equality before the law, right? That is, like, if you got accused of a crime, you had the same rights as everybody else, that there was a set of rights that everybody has. That's why one of the biggest disagreements in Western society's development over the last, I don't know, 200 years is, what is that list of rights?
0: Mm-hmm. And
3: implicitly, then, what isn't on that list of rights,
0: mm-hmm.
3: right? So, for a long time, it, it, like, when people talk about women's suffrage... For example, in 1920s and before, like in Britain, 70% of women were against women's suffrage at the beginning of the campaign because women didn't get sent to war and women didn't have weren't conscripted into um, like like not lynch moms, but like sometimes you would get conscripted into like fighting fires or there were all these roles men had to play in society that often led to their deaths. Or to responsibilities, like very significant responsibilities. And it was because they were voters. They were considered citizen voters. And women were like, we don't want to go to war. Like, we don't want those responsibilities. And women hadn't realized yet that men were going to give them all those rights and not demand any of those responsibilities from them. Right? Or that later on, we would just decide that nobody would have those responsibilities. Right? We'd all just pay for them in taxes in a very, like, inefficient way. And go bankrupt as Western nations. So, like, when we're like, we don't want these rights, because see, women understood that there was a deal. Like, women had a particular deal. It was, we don't go to war, we don't do all these other things, and we don't vote. The husband votes for the family, right? That's, just, I mean, like, it's a set, it's a, you're arguing about a set of rights. What is that set of rights? That's what it's always about. And so some people are like, well, it's every single thing. Well but if it's every single thing then it includes things like intelligence and height and how good looking you are and whether or not you got you inherited like a 1972 Impala or 40 million dollars from your parents like it it literally means everything right and it's very hard to you can't do that but if you're not going to undo nature's or providence's natural inequalities then egalitarianism by definition can't be everything. So, you have to, so everybody has to decide based on a certain set of principles what set of things amount to rights or dignities or responsibilities that are shared by all and in what way. And turns out that's actually a really hard question.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Go Does ahead, you Andy. No, go ahead. You look
1: like you're talk. Okay. Well, w- w- the next question we've written down is. Um, I guess we kind of talked about why do people generally believe these views, but also what are some legitimate problems that each viewpoint is trying to solve? So I guess like when we talk about like, like feminism and, and these things, like what, what is a, yeah, I don't know. What, What do you guys think?
2: In the church in particular. Um, so I read the book, um, Jesus feminist, which is a pretty common popular book, um, and my understanding of the, her basic argument was that women are just as capable as men to do these things and they are equal in worth. And so we should be able to do them. Um,
0: and I would and add one caveat to that yeah. too, that that women have been prevented from doing that.
2: Right. Yes. Um, however, I think that so I can see that problem be trying to be solved. Like if women have legitimately, And prevented from using their spiritual gifts in the church and those might be teaching or leading then that is a problem to solve and I think especially in traditionalism there and I mean obviously patriarchalism (laughs) patriarchy that's just patriarchy Um, they which is even further along in the spectrum than traditionalism the women have been more limited than scripture even limits women in participating in the work of the church and their using their gifts. And so that is a legitimate problem to solve. However, um, the question isn't if women are as capable as men, the question is, and that doesn't mean that if they, so, okay, sorry, I'm I'm confusing. Women aren't, are just as capable as men. That might be true. So Nicole is a very strong leader and she probably could be the senior pastor, (laughs) um, because she's capable. However, um, God has assigned specific roles and roles are often assigned for order and for specific purposes. And so the issue isn't that women aren't capable and therefore less worthy of something and therefore have been prevented from doing something because of that, but um, that God might have something specific he's asking you to do and it might be different than what you want to do or what you might even be able to do. And that's true and has to be held in tension in all of our life. Like, outside of gender as well there's a lot of things i wish i could do um and wish and i like wish i could be but i i can't for specific reasons that are often hard but good and so i think yeah go ahead
1: oh i I, I wonder like why though because so you talked about women are capable of doing some of the things that men do Mm -hmm. sure men aren't necessarily capable of doing the things that women can do like i can't have a baby Right, right. Children. And I and so and I
2: can't oh, pee standing up.
1: Right. You, you're right. And you can <laughs> Yeah, wow. I'm
2: talking about in the church like using be. gifts in the church. Yeah.
1: In the church. Okay. Okay. So do you actually think okay. All right. Uh but that's well, because
2: so specific contexts need specific um assignments. Like you need specific roles for specific and specific people to do them and so but that doesn't mean that um so that might be capability sometimes but I don't think in the church it's because we're limited by capability I think it's because God has in his authority assigned us a role and he also loves us and so we have to yeah it's not just men we're not being limited by men we ha- women have been limited by men and that is a problem to solve. Right. Um but we are also limited by God in specific ways and that's not the same problem to solve.
1: Right. It's a, it's like a limitation for our own good. Which is not really a limitation then. It's it's just Well, it is a limitation
2: good. still.
1: Right. Right. Okay, I mean like I want to watch porn every night, but I can't <laughs> cuz God tells me not to. So like, is that a limitation if it's going to end up destroying who I am? I don't, I don't think so. I think that's like just a healthy...
3: Yeah, this gets back to the historic or classical definition of what freedom is or liberty, right? Which is, the, which is the ability to do the good, right? So in the classical definition, not only should you not be prevented from doing what's good, you could be prevented from doing what's evil and virtue is part of freedom because you have to be able to make yourself do the good. Right And so part of this is if you define freedom in a sense of in, with a libertine definition, freedom is the right to do anything I want to do, mm-hmm. then you're gonna get a really confused idea of freedom and liberty. But if you if you get too, if you get too illiberal about the, def, the the classical definition of freedom, then you can basically engage in utilitarianism and say that you're making people free because you're making them do what they should do, which is good. So like part of the problem, I mean, obviously I I feel like the complexifying individual on this podcast, but this is part of the issue is like, people don't realize the difficulty of the questions that lie beneath these things. Mm -hmm. And so then we just act based on our intuitions or our, you know,
2: and we have to know our assumptions going into these conversations too, because we are, we live in a nation where our understanding of freedom is that more libertine understanding that I should be able to do what I want to do, and that's my right. And so that's like that's like the water we're swimming in. <laughs> and so I think that's why it's really difficult in the church, especially for women, um, even, if, even though I think we are maximally able to do many things as women. I feel very empowered in the church as a woman, but it's hard to swallow because of the water that we're swimming in that I can't do anything I want to do.
1: Right. Well, I think that goes into, to kind of the next set of questions. And I'm going to ask Nicole first when we're talking about like leadership in the church and like being it women, like teaching mm-hmm. and like, you know, the big thing is like women can't be pastors. That's what everybody says. Women, women can't be pastors. I'm not saying that this is what the Bible says. I'm just saying, mm-hmm. this is what people say that women can't be pastors. Women can't teach and they shouldn't like lead men or have authority. And so, I think maybe I'm making this up, Nicole, yeah. but I think we talked about this and like you have expressed, I think you've expressed that you've like sometimes had desires to, to be in that leadership, like authoritative role. Yeah. And it, it would make sense because I feel like that's just kind of part of your personality. And mm-hmm. so how does that, how, how then do you, so what do you think about that then? Do you think that women should have the right to teach men in the church, have authority over men in the church and lead men in, in the church I know we talked about capabilities and what we should and shouldn't do, but like, I think we should talk about in the church specifically, what can women and men do and why can, and can't they do these things? Because yeah, Nicole would probably be a better leader than a lot of the people that are leading churches right now. So then why, why can't she, if it's, if it's for the better, for for the, for the better of the kingdom of God, why can't she do it? I think that would be the, the biggest question that people would ask. I've heard young people say it all the time. I've asked that. Why, why can't somebody who, why can't I lead a church? I'm 20 years old. I feel like I could do it better than most people. And they're like, no, you would suck. And so I, I think, I, I think it's a legitimate question. And I want to ask yeah. Nicole, because I feel like you probably have felt this.
0: Yeah, I definitely have felt pieces of this for sure. Um, so I, one of the things that I think is helpful is to think about the role of the, the pastor or elder um, or shepherd. And so for High Point, our what we have in our constitution bylaws, I never remember which it is, but um, our doctrine for our church is that women are not elders of our church. We don't have women in roles of elder, and we take that from passages of scripture. There are lots of things that we expect of elders, part of that is that elders would shepherd the church, that they would care for the flock. Part of it is that they would engage in spiritual dis- um, discipline. So if somebody is obstinate in doing something, if they're having an affair and they're unrepentant about that affair and they're a member of our church, then elders would engage in disciplining that person, in trying to confront them, in asking them to change and to repent. And if they don't, then choosing all right, well then we're not going to have you be a part of this community or whatever. The I'm just that's just an example. Yeah. Um, and then, um, and, and like I said before, part of that is teaching, but there are lots of things that elders or that anyone else can do as well. So for example, Manohar preached today. He's not one of our elders. Um, we have had guest preachers preach in our church who are not elders of our church, But they don't preach with the same level of consistency that Nick does, or when Lloyd was a pastor at church, that Lloyd did as well. Um, when Vince was a church at our church, he was one of our pastors as well. And so he, there was a more regularity with which he preached because it's part of the office of the elder that part of that is a level of teaching. But when, when we have a guest preacher come in, it's not that that's part of the, all the responsibilities they continually have to teach regularly on a Sunday. Now, I think you can get into like, well, is that just semantics? Like is that really is that just finding some loopholes in it? That's a different conversation that yeah, you could have.
1: I'm going to no, yeah, I'm going to get into it. You can get I'm into it because I've heard that Nick, and maybe this isn't true Nick, but that you're okay with like women guess
0: Big, I guess. Well, because, like, I mean, that that makes sense. Like, why why should any other non-elder at the church be allowed to do something that I'm not allowed to do? If the main thing is that I shouldn't be an elder, so I think that gets into a good question. Then, what are the things that elders specifically should do, and then what are the things that we're going to allow anybody else to do? I think that's a good question, and that but that to me is the one the conversation that's more worth having than yeah.
1: Right. And so can women come on once, one Sunday a year, a woman, whoever, and give a sermon?
0: Or like, Like, Andy, here's another question. Like when I'm on stage leading worship and I say something before worship or I say something in between songs or I pray, am I teaching? Am I leading? Am I leading with authority over other men in our church? Like how, I mean, that's, some churches would say, yeah, and that I shouldn't do that.
1: Yeah, I, I'm not saying that you do or don't. I I don't know. I mean, uh, but I do think that there is a when we when Paul I, I don't know where it says this and Nick, you can rebuke me if I'm wrong, but in the but Bible,
0: correct,
1: um, right or correct me, whichever one. Um, Paul Paul says that like is it in Corinthians that women uh, just should not teach? First Timothy two twelve. First Timothy, first Timothy. Okay, That women shouldn't teach. I don't know exactly what it There's- says, but something.
2: I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. That's okay. uh, uh, That is taken completely out of context because I only said that sentence.
1: (laughs) So I I took that out of context, but that's a big one. There's also a
3: verse in first Corinthians Corinthians 14 that when taken out of context says only it is shameful for a woman to speak in church.
2: Yes. Yeah. Don't. Those those are the two basically
3: most controversial verses in the whole Bible on this.
2: But yeah. also that,
0: that says, but there are also passages taken out of scripture that say that a woman should not be prevented from, or that
2: a woman should speak prophetically. Right. Right. That's yeah. why I'm saying this is completely out of context. In the same
3: right. book of as first Corinthians yeah. talking yeah. about the same thing. Yes.
2: Right. Yeah. And
1: I'm coming from the perspective of somebody who's young and that's the two verses that we know. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I'm going to say to you. I'm going to say uh-huh. that this verse and this verse, yeah. and what do you have to say about it? Because if I see a woman giving a sermon up on the stage, uh, for example, I'll tell you what, for example, when I was on my, my missions trip, air quotes, cause I don't think it was really a missions trip. I was down in South Carolina and we went to this church and there was this woman who her name was pastor Kelly. And she gave a sermon. One, one time she gave a sermon. I had, I felt so convicted that I just stopped going to the church for the rest of the entire missions trip and i feel like a lot of young people have felt that i felt that and so even if they give one sermon like one sermon to me that seems like it's wrong or it shouldn't happen so why am i wrong about that or 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 what like should women never is that paul saying they should never ever preach or teach or have a give any authoritative whatever in the church or what is he saying or how much freedom do we have in that to to have a little wiggle wiggle room
3: who would you like to answer that?
1: Nick, very I very I
3: clear and concise question.
1: I want you. I want Nick. To, I want you to answer it because I've heard that you're okay with women, and tell me if I'm wrong. But you're okay with women once I'm in a okay while. Okay
3: with women. <laughs> yeah. You're okay
1: with women in general. Tell me if I'm wrong. No. That, that you're okay with with women teaching in the church once in once in a while, right? Are you okay with that or not? Yes. Am I wrong? Or not? Okay. So why?
3: Um. Okay. So I believe that. In a question like this, you should try to take all of the biblical data. Okay, so the I'll fir- the, give you the first reason. The first reason, reason is because I believe in the supreme authority of Scripture in all things related to faith and practice. Okay, so the Scripture says a bunch of different things about this in a bunch of different places. And so I feel like it's my responsibility to try to take all of it. If I believe that God providentially superintended the the writing of all of Scripture— and it's complete canonization in the Bible without remainder, then what I want to do is I want to take all the data that God has given me to interpret and to try to interpret it all together as one without remainder. Now, um, if, if I don't do that, like, so, so for example, um, in 1 Corinthians 11, it explicitly encourages women to prophesy in the church. This is in a gathered worship service. It is speaking to the whole church and the definition of prophecy is broad. So broad that most of the Puritans believed that prophesying meant preaching. And many conservative churches, like for example, John MacArthur, who has a very conservative view on women in the church, but also is a cessationist when it comes to the work of the Spirit, has argued that preaching in 1 Corinthians is, or or prophesying in 1 Corinthians is equatable to preaching. Well, that's all well and good when you're trying to say what the Spirit is, is or isn't doing in people, but then it, Whatever that is relates to women such that they can do it if they do what 1 Corinthians 11 says is asking them to have their head covered, whatever that means, whether that's hair or with a special kind of hat thingy or whatever, right? So you you have to start with it. And so – and then the two pages later it says in 1 Corinthians 14, among other things, um, that it's shameful for women to speak in church. Now, either Paul had a seizure and completely forgot what happened two pages previous, (laughs) or when he says it's shameful for women to speak in church – He's not referring to women speaking in church like he talked about in 1 Corinthians 11. He's talking about some, some subset of speaking in church, right? That Now, that subset in 1 Corinthians 14 appears to be the judging of prophecies for the church. Because if you have all these people speaking extemporaneously and saying this is a message from God, Paul's like, somebody's supposed to be like, uh, not that one. Yes, this one. That the prophecies don't have are to be affirmed by someone, but First Corinthians doesn't say. You're left to infer it's the leadership of the church, but there's no explanation of the leadership of the church, its offices or hierarchies in First Corinthians. If you move over to First Timothy, where the verse Jill read is mentioned, I don't per- permit a woman to teach or to have authority over. A- I neither it, it, it's the structure in Greek is I neither per- I per- permit a woman to neither teach nor have authority. She must be silent or in quietness. That that word for quietness gets translated in a number of different ways. Okay, so in the very next, like three verses later, chapter three starts, which is all about elders. In chapter five, it discusses elders in the church, and it says, you should give an elder double honor, especially if his, if his work is teaching and having authority in the church. And in chapter two, the context of that discussion is propriety and order in the church. Okay. I think that we're supposed to understand that that work of teaching and having an authority in the church in chapter two is connected to the role of elder, which is explained and worked out in chapter three and then ordered and discussed again in chapter five. Now, if you think that, then that makes perfect sense of first Corinthians because women aren't aren't allowed to teach or have authority in the way an elder should. They shouldn't do that. And he doesn't permit it. And therefore, if a woman took authority or usurped that role, it would be shameful, right? One of those roles is to teach and have authority about prophecies given by anybody, including women. And so, it would be shameful for a woman to speak in that context in the church when elders were judging prophecies. If, so, if you if you begin to work out all of this stuff, what that would do is it, it means that teaching and having authority in the church in First Timothy chapter one would be relative to the, to an office or a regularity that is usurping the role of an elder, which gets to that question that Nicole brought up, which is at like, at what point is doing something, the role of an elder? The reason why high point church says that women can't be pastors is because in our theological practice, we believe that the office of pastor overseer and elder are interchangeable words in the new Testament. So if you're a pastor, you are by definition an elder And if a woman can't be an elder, then she can't be a pastor. If you define pastor just by what the word means, which is shepherd, well, there's all kinds of women who shepherd all kinds of people. So in that case, for example, if we define pastor as just shepherd, then Nicole should, her role should probably be called pastor of worship, worship pastor, right? The problem is, is that in our church's documents, we elect pastors a past the pastoral office is an elected office by the congregation and not every elected pastor is an elder only the senior pastor and the senior associate pastor the reason we did this is so there wouldn't be too many paid pastors on the elder board so the paid pastors couldn't run the church right it's a, that was an expediency but it's really not in line with the systematic teaching of the scriptures so if we for example elected luke youth pastor but he wasn't on the elder board and wasn't an elder and didn't do the work of an elder. See, I think then now I think we're at that point we're being inconsistent because I think the operative office isn't pastor. The operative office is elder or overseer. And I think elders and overseers are supposed to keep order in the church and to do the, the official work of teaching and having authority. Just like if you, like if there've been situations where you're like, you've tried to take authority for something. I'm like, Andy, stop. Right. And you, you didn't go, well, I'm a man. Yeah. So I can teach and have authority. Uh, not that it's not that simple. If you read all of First Corinthians or all of First Thessalonians and all of First Corinthians, no, there's there is actually a, a more detailed hierarchy of elders. I also think the one of the reasons this is important is because in the discussion of the limitation on women, there are two reasons given, essentially for well, there's three reasons given for why women are in are in this single subordinate position. The first is that there is a creational hierarchy in which God gave a certain authority to men and men have to uphold that authority. So men can't can't get off the hook and you need to live in this order because it's important for your flourishing. Second, it says the woman was deceived and not the man. Now that is a much more complicated discussion about the question of, is there some way in which women are more deceivable than men? And is that somehow relevant to the hard-mindedness necessary for the role of elder? Because the role of elder is supposed to be a really hard-minded role. You have to say no a lot you have to like tell people they're wrong. It's a very disagreeable role. And it may be that normatively in terms of distributions, not individuals, men are more overall qualified for that in a way that makes women more qualified for something else that we probably, that's like a two hour discussion. We probably shouldn't get into right now. Right. And I'm not making right, that, that, but that seems to be what that versus getting at somehow. Right. And then the third is, is fertility that women are the only ones who can make more human beings and that's a, big, that's a big thing, right? The reason I think that's relevant is because it basically argues that women have the full distinction within the body of Christ if they are, A, saved and made godly in all the ways everybody else is. So it says if they continue in faith, sanctification or holiness, and propriety, right? So that is they believe in Jesus to save them from their sins. They're growing in godliness, and they they behave, they comport themselves in the way they should in the community, which is being discussed in that chapter. If they are doing those things, then they're, quote, saved through childbearing. But I think that means is they, they are given one thing in exchange for the one thing taken from them. There's only one office. There's only one thing they can't do be an elder. In exchange for that, they have received one thing and one responsibility, which is, Having children, creating the new human beings and nurturing them in the tender years of their life. And that only women can do that and women must do that. And men are given a corresponding responsibility to that, which is to lead and govern the church. Both – and the funny thing is I think it's hilarious that people fight over this because these are two roles that nobody in their right mind should want. Right. Like mm-hmm. if you look at childbearing negatively, you're like, I got to grow this baby in my womb and it's going to like make it hard. Like it's going to make it hard to hold in my pee when I'm 43. And like I don't want to have to do the blah, blah, blah. And then I've got a nurse and get up in the middle. Right. If you look at motherhood in a negative lens, in an undignified lens, it's a horrible thing. Well, just do the same thing with eldership. Mm-hmm. You, have to, you you're, Like you're involved in all the fights in the church. Every problem is your problem. Every person who screws up, you have to deal with. Like it's all the bad things with shepherding. It's horrible. It's terrible. It will kill you. It will. It's going to put me in the grave a decade early. Right.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: But then if you just turn your mind around and say, okay, look at motherhood in the most dignified, positive, purposeful light you possibly can. It's the greatest dignity there could possibly be. Right. Now turn around the pastoral role of being an elder. You save people from eternal death, Mm -hmm. right? These eternal and supernatural beings that these women have created out of their own wombs, that God has given them to create something eternal and everlasting that has God-given fundamental dignity that comes from the very biology of their body. The elder seeks to make sure they don't die in eternal death Mm -hmm. in the beauty in which they were conceived, right? You look at the two in corresponding honor, and they're both extremely honorable roles. It just turns out that God in his sovereignty has chosen, he has elected and predestined that women have one role and men have, men have this other one
0: and additionally, in terms of
3: their distributions and functionally.
0: I like This is just for me because I know that there are women who don't share this and I have great sympathy and compassion for those women because I know it's a lot harder for those. But like, I don't want both of those. I have a child. <laughs> I am a mother. I experience that responsibility and weight and exhaustion and like and i not to say that fathers don't participate and share some of that but i do think it is different i don't want that on top of also bearing the burden and responsibility of what high point is doing and how we are coping right now in the midst of quarantine and covid-19 not again not to say that there aren't women who who could do that or want that but i do think that we weren't intended to carry both of those weights i, I just think that's that sounds terrible and miserable and yeah. like so much stressor stress and pressure. Yeah.
3: yeah I and think I think, I think it's really, let me just add one thing onto that Nicole too, is, is some people think just in terms of childbearing relative to like making the child in your womb and squeezing it out. But it's not that the role of motherhood in, in the realm of nursing in the early years of tender care, where women almost always have a predominant role forms that human being's moral structures and spiritual structures of their thought and their mind the rest of their life. I mean, Stalin said, give me a child until he's eight and you can, ha- you can do whatever you want with him after that. <laughs> like people have understood for a very long time, like for example, your IQ ends up getting set by that. Like, how, like your mental capacity is like either predetermined by your inner nourishment, Which includes the nourishment they get from the mother's room and her breasts and how she feeds and cares for them, and also the nurturing that comes like learning language, learning morality, learning what is yes and no. All those fundamental things which govern somebody's capacity the rest of their life are instilled by mothers, usually with the help of fathers. But women have the lion's share for that. That fundamentally dictates the nature and character of an entire society. And that's why, like, Even when the feminist movement was brewing in America and people like Phyllis Schlafly was like, quit telling women not to be mothers. You people are idiots. The reason she said that was not because she was some kind of like wicked traditionalist. It was because she recognized people were were not trained in the classical understanding of motherhood and what that really means and is in human life. And if you if you undervalue motherhood and then you overvalue like women going to work, which, frankly, I think a lot of women who go to work would be like, I think this is overrated. I mean, going to work is immensely overrated, right? And so, if if you get those out of whack value wise, then yeah, sure, you're going to be a like raving feminist, and nobody should stay at home with their kids or like focus on motherhood. But like, if you if you order these properly, I don't. I think women would be like, "This is this is the, the most important work of my life," at least in the years I'm doing it.
2: Jill, you were going to say something. I think it's important. It is important to recognize that what you're talk the logic that we're talking about, can really only come from the mind of christ because um it does make sense but if you're not in submission to god his ways aren't going to make sense and so yeah i mean i think it's true that in our culture women would our culture has so flipped god like god's ways that we would think a lot of women think it's an injustice that they would have to raise a child um and we think that We should be able to work, and many women do want to work, and many women love working. Um, There are some that that do think it's not all it's cracked up to be, but some women really want that and long for that, and it's because we're shaped by what our authority is. And so we talk about authority in the context of men and women, but if our authority is God and we are shaped by his ways, this does make sense to us over time especially as you submit to it and see it lived out I've I have struggled with wanting to be a mother because I've been shaped by the world and so knowing knowing what you're shaped by is really important and because you're going to come in and and feel like this doesn't make sense but that's an empirical authority and an empirical knowledge based on your experience and your what you are being shaped by
1: Okay. So I like, I like everything that you just said. It makes sense in my head. One thing there's a bit of a disconnect that I don't get. You say like, okay, so, so women want to work and I've never met a man. My, I've never done this that have been like, Oh wow. I really want to get pregnant. I mean, there are men like that now very few and far between men who are like, Oh, I really want to be pregnant and be a mom. Like the women have the desire to do work and the thing, things like that. But I've never really met a guy in my life that's been like, I want to be a mom. And so I think when talking to younger younger women that are my age and saying that stuff to them, yeah, it makes sense. But also like, I think that, that it might, it might look in, in, in their mind as something that's, that's not, that's not fair. Like it's not fair because women are always desiring to do the, to, to do the pastoral or elder role of men and men are not desiring to have babies. And so it seems like men aren't really losing out on anything and mm-hmm. women are losing out on a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And that seems like it would suck. I, I don't know what it's like cause I'm not a woman, but it, it seems like it would suck. So that I, I get caught up on that cause I'm wondering how, how can you, I mean, what, what can you possibly say to somebody who says that? What do, you, what, what do you guys think?
3: I mean, I think that can be true in a leisure society. I mean, for, for most of history, men broke their backs and killed themselves to provide for their families. And so I don't think most women through most of the history of the world in non- among non-affluent people, which was almost everyone, felt like they had this really bad bargain other than that a lot of women died in childbirth. And that was an, an unmovable thing. In an affluent society where there's a lot more leisure, if you've got guys that are going to work and then they go out and play and women have all the responsibilities to stay home and take care of everything, mm-hmm. then women are going to be resentful. But I think rightfully so, you know, like I, I wouldn't blame them for being resentful. But I do think that one of the things you're getting at is this fundamental disharmony between the fact that one of the reasons why feminism as originally conceived can't ever work is because men are never going to be as domestic in their desires as as the majority of women just like in terms of distributions, you'll find a few men here and there. that will be stay at home dads or whatever, but it's extremely few. And in fact, I can't tell you how many women I've had to say in private. I would never say this in front of their husbands because I think their husbands should work to be interested in their own children. But, but like a lot of women have been told either by other women or, or men with older kids. Listen, after your kid turns about two and a half, your husband will start being interested in your child. Because, Men naturally identify with the shaping of their children for their departure, making them capable for the difficult world. And when a child is in a state where basically all they get is nurture, dads really struggle with being interested in the kid. That's one of the reasons why dads normally – will all they do with really young kids is rough and tumble play oftentimes or whatever they have to do to make their wife happy enough so that she will be willing to engage in intimate relations. Like that, like, like, honest to God, that's how a lot of guys think. And then, but then as the kid grows up and there's more activity in, in helping the kid be prepared for the world, dads get way more focused and involved in their kids' lives, especially boys.
0: When, um, when Luca was, when we were pregnant with Luca and he was about to be born, Scott was doing freelance graphic design. He had it. He didn't have, um, the, the full-time job that he has now. He was doing freelance all the time, working from home. And I was working at high point. And in my mind, I knew it wasn't necessarily the ideal, but I just thought, well, maybe Scott, like, since he's working from home anyway, and Luke is home, like maybe he'll just want to be okay with being the one who's taking care of Luke. Like we were trying to sort out childcare. And in a lot of ways, like, so Jill, you talked about like the traditionalist view, which is not what God has defined manhood and womanhood. It's just like what happened over and over again. And I feel like in a lot of ways, Scott and I, but, f- feel like we don't always fit into those traditional roles. Mm -hmm. And, um, and this, so I didn't think that Scott would be opposed to that. And he was absolutely opposed to it. He's like, no, I don't want to be a full-time stay-at-home dad. Not at all. And I was, I was kind of surprised. I thought like, but you're, you are home. You're like working from home. Like what's in my mind, I was just trying to make the math work. And he's like, no, I I don't want to do that. And so even in a situation where I think maybe you think maybe that wasn't the case for him, mm-hmm. and and I, I think part of it is I think that like all of us though still were wired to work. Like when Scripture talks mm-hmm. about doing things with your hand and producing and being and creating things and doing things for the good of others, mm-hmm. that's not just talking to men. That's also talking mm-hmm. to women. Right. And I think too, if yeah. you look back historically, a lot of times the work was a family job, whether it was a family business or working on a farm or like making things as a family. And so the work was being done at home and the mothers and the children could be involved in the work. And so I think that there was a lot more satisfaction there. Men were more involved in taking care of their children because they were working at their home. I mean, I think honestly what we're experiencing right now with COVID and we are all with our families more, like maybe that's more like what the experience was. So- I I think it's understandable to me that women want to work. And also, I mean, Jill and I both do work and are at home. Like we don't work Mm -hmm. full time in the same capacities and we work different hours than each other. But it's natural to me. I understand women's desires to work and to do Mm -hmm. things that feel productive and Mm -hmm. for the good of people. But I, I do still think that there's something to us needing to submit to the authority that God has laid out. And with that, Mm -hmm. I also think, I I don't know if this is just me. I don't know if this is all women, but I know for me, it's easy for me to see something that isn't working and functioning the way it's supposed to. And so, and I, I mean, I even think we see that in scripture too. Like when something isn't working the way it's supposed to, God makes provisions for things that aren't what they were meant to be, but he makes a provision. And sometimes I think that that's part of women wanting to have more leadership in church is if they're not seeing the men do what they were supposed to do or called by God to do, they're like, all right, well, if he's not going to do it, I guess I have to. And I think that it's a It's a call both for men to step up and lead the way that God has called them to, even if it isn't what their natural inclination is, and for women to trust God that he will do that in men and for them to trust him and take the roles that he has assigned to them as well.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Well, you talked about this a little bit in the first gender role podcast, Nick. You said, and I think it was more talking about marriage of like how in our society – men are just not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Um, mm-hmm. trying to apply, apply this to like the church. Then I think that it, it's also true in the church that men for the most part, don't do what they're supposed to do. So how can we apply these things as men and women to how we view the church and how we interact with the church and what, and what we do in the church. Um, when it comes to leadership or when it comes to teaching mm-hmm. or whatever you know like like how yeah. can we apply these things as like your as your everyday i mean we're not all pastors right as your everyday church person that goes to church, how do you apply these these gender roles to that
3: yeah, okay there's a lot you could say about that so um one is the worst thing that men in a church can do to the women in the church in relationship to this. Besides be, be just crassly abusive in some way is to hold the theological line and say, women can't do X, Y, Z, and then not do it with great care themselves. Right. If you want to tell women in the church, Hey, this role, this role of elder, we're going to, the men are going to do this. We think God has said that. Then the role of elder should thrive among the men at the church. All men should be seeking to live up to the requirements of eldership. You should be electing your best men to eldership. You should be seeking to lead men to Christ and disciple them in Christ and disciple them as husbands and fathers and, and workers and all that kind of stuff so that women never feel like the leadership is bad. They're always like, Oh, leadership is great. Like I could do it, but I don't have to. Right. There's I mean, there's a lot of things that the women I know are like, I don't want to have to do that. Like as long as they're doing it well, God bless them, right? So I, I think it's better to, to I think men need to really focus on making sure that the, the eldership in their church is great, right? And then like my rule of thumb now is, because I was trying to look for what would be a rule of thumb that you could get for like how to run this in your church that is just easy or like really straightforward. And and the, what, I, what I came down to with the elders was to say, if you would invite a man who's not an elder to do it, then you should invite a woman to do it. Which is how I got to the point where I was like, I think women should preach sometimes. I don't think that they should have the authoritative teaching role of the elder, which includes the disagreeable work of defining doctrine, what it is and it isn't, what's right and wrong, and to be that voice of authority in the church. Um, but there are plenty of sermons that will happen in the, in the church that are going to be topical or periodical or that person's not going to exert in a, a larger or wider like determining doctrine kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that when we ha- we're we willing to have men do it who aren't elders, I think having women who aren't elders is is appreciable too.
0: A quick Does anecdote that for that. There have been times on Sundays where I have intentionally not chosen to say something because I felt like that's, that's too much of like setting a, a tone or a doctrine or a teaching for a church. And I don't think that's my role. And so there are things right. that I intentionally choose not to say on Sundays because of that.
3: Yeah, and I want Nicole when she when that moment is happening. I want that thought to go that goes through her mind to be: Should I say this, or is this something an elder should be doing? Not should I say this, or is this something a man should be doing?
0: Mm -hmm.
3: Does that make
1: sense? I mean, okay, I could say you know, elders are men, so yeah, but
3: but they're a very small subset of men, right? They are they are are the godly aristocracy of men.
1: Yes,
0: you got so much pushback from that, Andy. I know. All of us. I know. <laughs> I, know.
3: Yeah. I mean, yes. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I yes. I mean so we all started with yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Look, like um, if I like, and if I told you, um, all your bosses in your life are going to be men, that would be be very different from me saying, all the men will be your bosses
1: mm-hmm.
3: throughout your life.
1: Yeah. One of those right. is much
3: better than the other.
1: Exactly. Right. Right. And, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um. Yes, and I think we're gonna get more into that in the next one about marriage, yeah, but I think um I was gonna ask Nicole Wait. and yeah, what? Well, what, I just have what. a
2: question I wanted to to ask Jill, but you ask yours first.
1: No, no, you ask are we first.
2: well, I have a question too. Are we moving <laughs> right. on to the are we moving on because i I wanted to add something to an exhortation to women. In playing out gender yeah. roles in the church, if unless right, yeah. okay, great.
1: I literally was gonna ask you that, so
2: oh, perfect. Okay, so I think just as much as I mean, what Nick has said is very empowering, I, and working at High Point, I feel very empowered as a woman. I don't feel held back in being a leader, I don't feel held back in teaching. Um, I so I think as women, we also need to. Um, Nicole had mentioned holding back. I think we need to also hold intention as much as we should fully use our gifts as much as we can, if they include teaching and leadership as well, we should also be encouraging men to step up into the leadership roles that we shouldn't have. So it shouldn't just be that we look to fill spots that men aren't filling well. We should Mm -hmm. look for men to do that first. We should encourage the men and build up the men to do that. And Um, I think a good question for women is how much is enough? Like, are we going to be satisfied with what we've been given? Because you could also be a woman in the church and feel like, well, why can't I be an elder? Um, And so it is a good question for yourself to think, am I, why am I not satisfied with this? Or if -hmm. it means that I, as a woman teach a Sunday school class to adults, but not preach consistently, am I satisfied with that? And I do, I get to use the gifts God has given me. Great. Am I doing it for the Lord? Great. Are people coming to him? Great. Is that enough? Or why do I want that larger responsibility? Mm -hmm. Um,
1: Right. It seems like it's, it's like a more of a mindset of like, oh, because Nick preaches up on the stage, he's more important than me.
2: Yeah.
1: And I want to be that, I want to be important.
2: I want to be the worst question. Yes.
1: Yeah. And God, I got, I, yeah, Nick gives a good sermon, but I don't think God gives a crap that Nick is up on stage and you're teaching five people in a little room. I think what he cares about is the content and, and the and your character. And so, yeah, I like that. That was really good. Nicole, did you have something to say?
0: No, no, we can go on.
1: Okay. Well, that was kind of, I guess my, my last question, unless, do we want to discuss what does this have to do with society and other relationships?
2: I only want to emphasize what um, we pushed back <laughs> on you for. Um, that this, the gender roles in the church and in marriage don't just apply to any man or any woman. They apply yeah. in relationship. So it's relation. It's the genders working together in relationship and the order that God has set so that those relationships thrive. And so, um, it, any man could walk up to me in the church and have some church discipline for me. But if they're not an elder. And I'm, I think I should, if it's feedback from my brother in Christ, I should listen to what they're saying, but just like they you want don't a sister have, in Christ. Right. Right. But they don't ha- they're not the, the, there's not the authority of an elder exercising church discipline such that I need to submit to them in that moment. I should listen with, and with humility, but um, that doesn't mean that the same thing.
1: So being on a, being on a podcast is not only for the role of elder. So we, we're not sinning right now.
3: I think if you look at the way confrontation is supposed to happen in the body of Christ, in like the book of Matthew, for example, elders aren't supposed to get involved in most of it. Mm-hmm. It starts with just anybody talking to anybody as a brother or sister in Christ, and then and then bringing another brother or sister in Christ, and then only that to go to the, after that to go to the authority of the church. So most of the, the work of discipleship and all that stuff is, is not supposed to happen because elders are forcing it. And so therefore, the vast majority of the ministry of the church is, do, is not done by elders.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: right? Elders order it. They teach. But remember, a dispensing doctrine isn't the ministry of the church. Love is. And, and so the, the elders aren't doing the work of the church. They're just helping to order it and care for it and nurture it in the right kind of way. Right, I think the question of do gender these general limitations or whatever ones that you believe the Bible gives, do they translate into economy, politics, and other spheres of society is important. Because I think there is a certain reasonability to say, well, if a woman shouldn't be the elder of a church, then why should we have a woman who is the president of the United States or the governor of the state or the CEO of the company?
1: Isn't that just a stupid question? I I just think that's just the dumbest question. How can – Because how are you going to compare the Church of God to a political office? Like, how can you compare? That That means that you hold the Church of God and God's, like, you hold those two in the same breath. Like, those two are just as important. Those two offices are equally important. Clearly, being the president is an important job.
3: But... But, 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 No, but see, the issue here is... Why, why, so, so if you believe that God simply, the question is, why do you think that's the case in the church? Right? Because it's, it's not that women aren't as holy as men.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: Right? Like, you see what I'm saying? So like, if, if a woman shouldn't be the elder of a church, why is that? And God, like God, maybe God says it, is what God says it, but why did he say it?
1: Yeah. Right?
3: Now, it doesn't say in the Bible unless it, unless it says it in first Timothy chapter two. And it's for the three reasons of the God-created hierarchy, the woman being deceived first, whatever that means, and that women are, quote, saved through childbearing. That is, they are given one thing in exchange for the one thing, right? And that between the two, the human society can flourish. Now, whatever the reason you give is, is that, isn't that reason possibly at least possibly just as transferable to other areas of authority and leadership, right? I mean, for most of the history of the church, people did think that. People thought that women shouldn't be pastors and that they shouldn't be CEOs and that they shouldn't do these other things, right? Now, but I, now I think, now I don't, I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think that I think that in a healthy society, like if you had a society where everybody was a Christian, and it was a healthy society where everybody was a Christian, I think you would have substantially fewer women who are CEOs and in these very prominent places because those are places of hyper focus. And hyperfocus is usually found not only predominantly among men, but predominantly among a very small percentage of men, about one in a thousand, psychologically speaking. And those are the men who like when they're scholars, they publish two hundred and seventy articles instead of five, and they they work like they like working a hundred hours a week. they those kinds of people. And those people tend to be the heads of these very large things. and and women who live a dif- the diversified life of labor and fertility, just they have a really hard time living that hyper-focused. And so they are at a fundamental natural disadvantage if they embrace fertility as part of their life. And God is asking most women normatively to do so to the extent possible, that they can find a suitable person and to which they find themselves to be fertile with that suitable person. And then the woman's ambition can then be relative to the responsibilities of the success of her fertility. Right. So if women have fewer kids because they, they got married later or they just couldn't have, then well, they have a less their life is less focused on children, so it can be proportionately more focused on other things. Does that make sense? So I think in a healthy society, fewer women would be in these places. So I, I wouldn't bar women from any of these positions, just like I don't bar women from important positions on our church staff and leadership. But I would expect it to be fewer. So I wouldn't say, well, you know, we have we have 12 important positions that men and women can be part of at our church that are very important, very like hardworking kinds of roles. And of that 12, only three are women. So that's really bad. I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't assume because there was a lack of equity that we had a problem with equality because there's a natural difference there in the realm of hyper focus. Does that make sense? Yeah. Now I would question (laughs) myself if it was three out of 12, I would say, are we doing what we should? Are we open to women doing this? Are we creating artificial barriers? Are we engaging in sexism? But I wouldn't assume that if we were healthy, it would be six and six. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I think that's going to be hard for people to digest.
3: I know. But- that, like, I'm trying to give these answers and not like tell you all the stuff beneath the stuff beneath the stuff. But again, remember, all this moral and theological thinking, you you are partly defined as a person, whether or not you think in egalitarian terms as your first moral principle or in natural terms as your first moral principle. Do you say, how is the world? Therefore, how can we flourish given the world as it is? Or do you think, how should the world be if everything was the way it should be? Now, I reject everything that rejects that. Does Mm -hmm. that make sense? Depending on how you think morally will determine your, right? Men and women are fundamentally different. Like making humans is a huge distinction. Women are a lot more vulnerable in a lot of ways because of it. Like there are all these things that are built into nature that are in fact true, right? And if you are just going to be, if you're going to be like, well, I won't accept any of those things. Our job is to undo all of that. If we're going to be good moral people and create progress, well then, yeah, you can't accept any of that. But I think it's because you're you you're confused in how you're doing your moral thinking and its first principles.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. That makes yeah, that makes Christian
3: faith and God's commands have always started with what is, and then either accepted it and used it because it was God's intention in the first place, or slowly undid it, recognizing that you still might need helpful structures surrounding it. Right. That's why God could undermine slavery, even while maintaining it when there wasn't like a social state that that had an artificial welfare program. So he recognized that, like, so, some institution like slavery had to exist to take care of people who wouldn't or couldn't take care of themselves because there's no social safety net at all. Those people literally would starve and die or be given to other people to be enslaved. Like there's, there was a fundamental social problem that had to be dealt with because of the way the world is. And then you move from there to what you wish the world could be like rather than just rejecting everything that isn't perfect or the way it should be in order to create something out of nothing that will never actually work and create much more injustice in human suffering usually.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. So to wrap things up, I, Nicole, I'll give you the last word because uh, like Jill and Nick kind of had their uh, closing statement. So I, I think, think the
3: person the who had the fewest people. words was clearly Jill.
1: Oh, sure. But I, Okay. Is that how we're doing this? I, I was just going based off of who talked last?
0: Well, I actually I no, have there are head. three
3: people on this podcast that don't need to be invited to speak, and one that sometimes does.
0: but I also have to go, so um yes, I yes, will yes, wrap yes. up by saying goodbye okay. <laughs> instead of anything else. That's <laughs> Thank good, you for having good. me. I'll talk to you guys yeah. later.
1: so yeah um, did we have anything else we wanted to talk about specifically in this, or is that do we cover most?
3: I think I have one thing I would say about about how to think about this in a paradigm. But Jill, do you have stuff that you've been holding?
2: No, just I, Nick. You alluded to this, but there is so much, so many more layers because it all all these streams flow together. So there's more about how God created us as men and women, and like I think some of that will also come out in the marriage podcast that will I think we're doing next, right, Andy, for gender yeah. roles. So on. I, I want to just encourage people to listen to the next one, too, because there's going to be more there to address what, Nick, you were talking about.
1: Mm-hmm. It'll probably be more applicable, too, to people's lives because more people are married than people that live in or that work in the church. So, like,
2: yeah. Or more people are even even it applies to people who are single, too, you know, Yeah. because yeah. it's how you think about yeah. the male and female relationship.
3: But They're, every Christian needs to understand gender roles in the church. Not yeah. just the people who work there, so yeah. I, I think it's good for people to grapple with this. Okay, uh, because we're going to do the marriage thing next time. I'll save the like six part whatever for that. Um, <laughs> let me say something about hearing stuff you don't like. Yeah. Right. So some people yeah, listen to this podcast. They may may have made it all the way to the end, and they're upset. Mm-hmm. Right. There are number of
1: Email us and yeah. tell us that you, what you hate. Right.
3: Right. And, and, and ask them if you have questions. Ask them. But but part of the issue here is this. In my Christian life, I have read the scriptures over and over again, and many, many, many times I've come across things that I really, really disliked. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it was it's, it's an accusation towards myself. Sometimes it was just the Bible is describing reality in a way that I am deeply uncomfortable with, mm-hmm. and I don't like it. And in virtually every case, I had to go through that problem of profound discomfort to find what God was really teaching and why. And... I didn't close my mind and go, "Well, I don't like this, so I'm not going to listen." I was like, "How could this possibly be true?"
2: And good, and then I,
3: and that led me to pursue it. Yeah, right. And in pursuing it, like what I found was that God disagreed with me not not on one thing, but on 15 assumptions that I used to support the thing I disagreed with him about. And so the 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 way He expanded my mind and developed and clarified things for me. He, like, unrolled all these things because I was willing to walk through something I really disliked. Mm-hmm. And it may be that if you really dislike what I'm saying, it, it may be that I'm just wrong. Okay, that like, that's a possibility. It also might be that after studying this for, you know, 30 years, that God has, like, worked this through with me some, and, like, you need to do this too, and— God is going to not just mess with you on gender roles. He's going to mess with you on like, how you see reality, how you understand nature, what a human being is, how human societies come together, what it means to be a family, what is necessary for a child to have the opportunity for a nurtured life, what rights do children have, not just mothers, and so on. Mm-hmm. And grappling with all those things is going to mess with you, but it'll make you humble it'll make you more godly. It'll draw you closer to God. You'll see the depths of the glory of the wisdom of God some more. And it'll be really cool. You know, but you have to you have to choose to walk through that.
1: I think a good like addition to that is that, like when I was growing up, my, my parents are both Christians, um, but they really didn't, we didn't have a church that was really like pouring into my parents and they kind of became Christians like in a crazy way and they didn't, they didn't know how to do it. And so most of growing up, my parents were learning how to do all these things. And because they didn't have somebody to teach them, God kind of just had to teach him teach him himself through failing in life. And it and it made things very hard in our family a lot of times. When my mm-hmm. dad would my dad had lost his job for a certain reason because of something that happened in the past. And so then We didn't have money. My mom kicks my dad out of the house. These things happen. And partially because nobody, because the church was failing and doing its job and actually teaching people what's true and discipling my parents. They failed my parents in that way. Partially because my dad and my mom are both stubborn and they didn't want to actually listen to a lot of things that were true. And so God's like, listen, if you don't want to listen, I'll make you listen. And I'll make it, I'll do it through hard. It'll be hard. Mm -hmm. I, I try to take that in my mind and be like, I'd rather hear what other people say and listen to it and try to figure out if it's true, mm-hmm. than completely ignore it because I don't initially like it and have God just wreck my life over it. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think that God would, he I mean, it, it says, I don't know where, but that God will punish his children. Like he will, that's what he's going to do. If you're not going to listen to the truth, he'll, he'll punish you. So you understand just like any parent would do to their child. And I think that young people, especially people my age, They'll hear something like this and they'll turn it off and they'll say, I don't, I don't care. I'm not going to listen to this, whatever. I think that's the dumbest thing that that you can possibly possibly do because you're basically inviting God to, to in a lot of ways, like he'll expand your mind for you if you won't do it. And I, and I think Mm -hmm. I'd rather just do it myself than have God do it for me.
3: If you you let your mind darken like that, the likelihood is when he chastens you for your own good, you will close your mind and harden further. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. and it creates a terrible feedback loop.
1: I w- yeah, I'm I was saying that what Nick and Jill and Nicole said today is 100% true and totally right, but at least dig into it and look into it more and ask questions. But Jill, what were you going to say?
2: I I want to give a positive affirmation off of that because you guys are right, but I want I think for women, well, at least for myself, I will not explore something because I'm afraid it's not going that there's not good for me in it or that I'm yeah. going dis- to I'm gonna discover something that's really painful or hard um, and that maybe God doesn't love me in some way. And I think it kind of comes down to this, what if it's not good? Um, so I would encourage you to open your mind and your heart as you relate to the Lord and wrestle with the Lord in these things and just look for how- the good that he has for you in it and stop looking at what you can and can't do and stop focusing on what other people can do and you can't do and look for what God has put in your life and what He's how he's orchestrating things. And I've often found that the very things I've longed for that I thought someone else had and I didn't were the things that he had put in front of me. It just looked different than I expected or it wasn't exactly how I saw someone else have it. And it was still there. And it's still, God has good for you. And so open your eyes to it. Um, and I think focusing on what you can't do is a huge distraction from that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Um, I don't think we have anything else to talk about gender roles in the church. Mm-hmm. But next podcast will be on gender roles in marriage. So tune in. Yeah, I think I think, you,
3: <laughs> I think it might be worthwhile to um planning one on motherhood and yes. how yes. how secularity has changed the role of motherhood to be this stress-inducing depression creating anxiety driven horrible yes. unfruitful unenjoyable yes. tedium
2: okay and,
3: and why so, so about- that you must raise your children to despise you so that who would freaking want to be one
2: yes and then we could do it on
3: fatherhood maybe too but um
2: i think that's but- super important i was literally at a a bachelor um, party this weekend and i brought my daughter because i'm I need to have her by – I'm nursing still, so I need her all the time <laughs> for specific reasons. And um, the other, most of the other women weren't married or um, didn't have kids, and they were so shocked that parenting wasn't – that I wasn't, like, so stressed that I hated it. They were like, wow, she's just here, and, like, you're okay, and, like <laughs> –
3: like yeah. Turn the baby around, yeah.
2: It's fine. She could just chill out and play with the toys and it's fine. Like she's yeah. yeah. So I think that's super important and it's just very ingrained in women to feel yeah. like it's gonna be this stressful, terrible thing that ruins yeah. your life. Yeah. Yeah, and then you
3: could do it on husbands, how that's changed in father fatherhood. Yeah. And, that. That so and then good. and then I think I think that people who have not even contemplated marriage yes. should learn about parenting. Yes. Because oh, yeah you oh. need to pick a spouse that you can agree on parenting with at least pretty close because if you don't agree on parenting then it's going to create just stress for at least a couple decades just and really terrible yeah. stress
2: yeah. and so you if have you, little... go ahead mm-hmm. nick i'm sorry i'm just yeah.
3: like... <laughs> like 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 if you marry somebody and they think it's cool to like have your child your children in your bed and you're like i don't think this is okay and they're like but that person believes that the nurturing of the children requires it.
2: Mhm.
3: Like that's that's a huge conflict. It's a huge conflict. Or like if somebody doesn't believe in punishment, like you just can't punish kids or like that oh they think God. that you should like puff up that self-esteem drives everything else. Or not yeah. competence. Right competence in children over the long run or whatever.
2: You might not even have a paradigm for parenting or marriage. There's that's the other thing. Right. Like you might not have had that role well played out in your life and you alluded to that too. And so um, you might not even have a picture of what you want and then you're getting married or looking for someone to be with and you're not looking for the right things because you don't know what they are or you don't know what you need or what you should even think about it. And so I think that's really important. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah it feels like parenting is like situational. Like my, my brothers are so much different than me and my parents. They tried with my, with me, what they did with my older brother and didn't work yeah and to this day they don't know they, they have no idea what they should have done with me and uh, I'm very proud Andy, of that Andy
2: you are very special.
1: you're proud of that I, I'm proud they couldn't figure me out that yeah. no but. That,
3: I don't I don't know that that's good I,
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it might not be good, but
3: because sometimes I, it's not that they can't figure somebody out it's just that you were so obstinate that you didn't respond to correction right like yes. like, like my oldest daughter Abigail, she's 17 now And like about a year ago. She went to Alexi and said, mom, I realize now it wasn't that you guys didn't know how to parent me. I always thought that she said, but it's that you always told me what to do and it was always good and right. And I just refused. I just had in my mind, I wasn't going to do it because you told me to, because I didn't like that you were in charge and you were in control of my life. And so now I'm like five years behind and I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And my, my wife was like, well, you know, if you got a new attitude, we catch up a lot in a year, you know, like, and so she's like doing all this math. And like, she actually became a student because she wasn't yeah. going to be a student because Lexi told her be one, you know? Mm. So sometimes it just means you are an incredibly obstinate child. And there, yeah. there was no, it's like Jesus saying, I played you a wedding song and you didn't dance. I sang you a funeral tune. And you didn't want to cry. Nothing will please you. It could just be you or that.
1: Yes, that's what I was. And I don't know if I-, I So I, you should I'm apologize attracted. to your
3: parents rather than reveling in the no, fact that they couldn't parent you. I have.
1: And I know I that care. what they were trying to teach me <laughs> was very valuable and I just didn't <laughs> listen to anything because I was an idiot. I, being true. proud of that is not- I'm not I'm not proud of that. I think I was just proud- For how unique
2: that. you seemed. Yeah.
3: Well, it, yeah. if you can use this great <laughs> gift of stubbornness as fortitude <laughs> against sin and hell and the devil for the rest of your life, like a like a Martin Luther or something, then. It'll be a great blessing That'd that be you fun. were made this way.
1: Hopefully that's what happens. Um, yeah. So you just, Jill, you just got like 13 new ideas to add to the other topics <laughs> slash episodes list that we are making. So add those. Tune in next week for next week or maybe the week after that. For whenever we do gender roles, marriage. Um, that's it for today. Thank you guys for listening. Smash that like button. Give us five stars, subscribe, follow, you know the drill.
3: Tell 60 people.
1: All, no, it's more than that, Nick.
3: No, or- like each person tells 60 people about the podcast.
1: Oh, dude. Yeah, tell your friends. <laughs> We're trying to get a sponsorship. We're trying to get sponsored. Tell your friends. I'm trying to get paid. I want to quit my my day job, do this all day. Make podcasts 24-7. Wow. Okay. It's worth a long way from that. Yeah. But- <laughs> Uh,
3: still support uh-huh. our sponsors, Simple Trees and Kids Fish. S-
1: Simple Trees. <laughs> this this podcast is brought to you by Simple Trees. Um, thank you. So yeah, thanks for listening, and uh, we will see you guys in the next one.
0: Bye.